This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Coach Glenn. Coach Glenn. I'm Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 12th, episode 2390. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? Never stop learning, never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Yay! Welcome back. The second Thursday of every month. Mary's here. We geek out on horse training. How you doing, Mary? I'm doing pretty good. Not too bad. Not too bad. Has spring sprung in Kemp, Texas yet? Yes. Like overnight, we have flowers. I'm waiting to see my first blue bonnet. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, we've got a heck of a lineup show today. We typically answer listener questions, which we're going to do plenty of, but we've also got a des- guest today. Give me a quick rundown of our guest, Jeff Sanders. Uh, so Jeff Sanders is out of California, but currently residing in Spain, I believe. And he is a, he's got a very, uh, specific kind of, uh, specialty. He's an expert in California horsemanship. Uh, this is sometimes called vaquero horsemanship, and that's the art of bringing a horse along for starting out with a traditional hackamore and then, uh, going to the two rein and then this, the spade bit. And that's a finished bridle horse. And it's a process that takes years and years. He's got a ton of knowledge about bits, about the hackamore, um, and it's, it's a topic that more and more horse people are getting interested in. So I figured we'd chat with him a little bit about some of those aspects. And he's also got a new book out. So that'll be really exciting. Woohoo! And we've also got our training tip. This time, Mary and I are going to geek, geek out on give your horse some rain and let him go forward. But before we do that, because once we start down that rabbit hole, we won't climb out for a long time. Glenn the Geek, regular co-host here on the Horses in the Mornings show, who typically takes the second Thursday of the month off, thank you very much is here and he wants to gab at us about something what you got going Glenn so we're we're starting to do coronavirus updates here on horses in the morning every day and I just wanted to stop by thank you Mary for letting me intrude on your day I appreciate no it. problem um, so and you've been affected a little bit by this too so we I just wanted to let everybody know we're ramping up coverage here of the coronavirus it seemed like nobody was doing it in the horse world so like we did during the hurricane during the world equestrian games we're doing the same here and and I just wanted to let everybody know what the coverage is going to be on Horses in the Morning Facebook page and on my personal page. Every morning, uh, we're doing an update on what's been canceled, what's, what's the latest for the horse world, what events are going on and not going on. And we're going to talk about two of those here right now because they affect uh, kind of your world, Mary. And then also in the evenings at 8 o'clock, most evenings, uh, we are going to do a Facebook Live with various guests. Last night, we had on Dr. Jimenez, who is the leading expert in emergency preparedness in the horse world. And she 
was on gave a bunch of good tips. If you didn't see that video from last night, go to Horses in the Morning. It's pinned to the top. Watch it. It tells you how to prepare your barn, the people in your barn, how to prepare for emergencies if somebody gets sick in your barn and your barn's quarantined, what to do if you have a boarding barn and you have people coming in and out all the time and one of them is sick and now your barn's quarantined. It There's a lot of... The biggest concern here, yeah, I mean, you could get sick and end up in the hospital or worse, uh, but the biggest concern is somebody around you gets sick and now you have to quarantine your barn, your facility, uh, or whatever kind of equine business you have. So you have to be prepared oh, for all those things. If they have to quarantine a tax shop in Ocala, there will be riots. <laughs> well, that's another thing. Uh, she talked to a couple stores yesterday, and they had no plan, like if one of their people gets sick and has been in the store, and all of a sudden now self-quarantining. Can the, you imagine having to put a Clorox wipe on every single hoof pick? Well, or they would have to close the store, basically. That's what they would yeah. make them do. So have a plan. What happens if the owner of the store gets sick? Who's going to run it? What? How about hay? You know, people are going to have a run on hay, just like toilet paper here soon. Are you stocked with uh, several weeks worth of hay? You're doing that after the show today After as a matter show um, so we're doing that coverage you can find it all at horsesinthemorning.com on Facebook or horsesinthemorning.com the website there's a corona banner just click on that I'm putting all the posts on that page so you'll find it there we'll go watch that video share it with everybody in the horse world it's already started there's like over 10,000 people have seen it so uh, we're going to continue to do those morning and night follow our updates and let's you know this thing is real I think uh, there's a lot of people in the horse world who still think this is not real. It's real. It's happening. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's just the way it is. Uh, we hope we don't end up like Italy, where we're all locked in our houses and not allowed to leave. Um, the uh, two things in your world, Mary, Road to the Horse canceled, and that was starting when? Next week, I believe? Yeah. As, as of the la latest I heard is it was postponed. Well, and I, that is, that yeah. is correct. It's canceled for next week. It might be postponed. They're working on another date. I heard from Tammy at Road to the Horse this morning. We've been texting back and forth. She's supposed to get back to me and might even do a Facebook Live with me as soon as they hear. So we'll have more information for you on that. Some people, some of our listeners were already driving and on the way. Oh. So they're having to turn around yeah. and go home. The other big one is down your way, the Houston Rodeo. I guess they were halfway through it and they canceled it? Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and that's it's actually a few hours for me, which in Texas is next door. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's like yeah. stone's throw. <laughs> yeah. They had 10 days left of the show. And initially... Uh, what I had heard was there was just one case in Montgomery County, and it, it appeared that they were doing it based off of that. But uh, there are more cases, including one that supposedly attended the the livestock show. So you've got, um, you know, I understand, you know, abundance of caution and doing everything that's necessary. It's still heartbreaking for all those kids who've worked their butts off um, and they have to turn around and, and go home. I so they, I, uh, I did I did read this morning. Now there's 14 or more cases in Houston. Uh, oh wow! So it, it's been increasing rapidly. Um, you, you know, it's interesting though. What's taken to get to get to get the average person's attention and to take this seriously? You know what it took last night wasn't the president being on. Uh, it was Tom Hanks and his wife getting yeah. getting it and NBA canceling. Now it got think, everybody's yeah, I attention. I think the NBA canceling yeah. that. That's that's pretty significant in the sporting world. So what's what are the? This is completely off topic. Here we go down another rabbit hole. 
Those those games are all televised. They have to figure out something else to put in those time I, I, slots. I, I, they're losing. This them. is an opportunity. They're, they're going to put horse sports on. Yay! <laughs> no, they're not happening either. Uh, <laughs> they're they're going to lose a bazillion dollars. I mean, don't don't just, don't yeah, even I think mean, about the, that. I'm putting NBA, my head in the sand on that. Yeah, one. yeah. the NBA is losing a ton of money. So at this point, it looks like um, in the the Reader's Digest version is Road to the Horse not happening this weekend. Hopefully, happening at a date coming future. up in 2020. And from what I hear, they're going to credit everybody's tickets. They'll do that. Yeah, they're, they're a good group. They'll, they'll figure it out. Um, I don't know what, what happens if they cancel. Um, most places have insurance that are that size have insurance. That's the second, second largest event at the Kentucky Horse Park every year. Uh, yeah. Rolex, you know, Land Rover, three-day event being the, the first. One, yeah. And that one, have, I guarantee you, we're going to be hearing something about that in the next couple of days. My guess is with that one, my guess, I don't know. This is not fact. This is, this is all Glenn's this is conjecture. Glenn's conjecture <laughs> is that they'll run it without fans and they'll televise it. That'll be my guess. Um, I, the K- Kentucky's not going to let fifty thousand people come in right now, especially if this gets worse over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, and uh, didn't I'm I'm a little behind on the Kentucky, but they they have cases. I thought in Lexington. Yeah. That correct. Yeah. Yeah, and they have the first cases of Walmart employees. So oh, goodness. that and you know Kentuckians love Walmart. So there's that. Hey, wait a minute. We shop there weekly. <laughs> I just went this morning. By the way, I just went this morning, Mary. It is true. There was absolutely not one. One single shred of toilet paper in the whole place. The entire rack was empty. I think, you know what I think it is? I think shrewd, less than above board business folks are are, are hoarding it. And that once, once the Mary, shortage hits, they're putting it on Craigslist. You, how many rolls do you have stashed, Mary? Yeah. You know, actually, I fit, this is I'm I'm not prepared for anything ever, uh, but this is one avenue where uh, we had already previously um, for a long time now been ordering our toilet paper in bulk that gets delivered to us regularly, and we just got in a big old box of it. Good so thing. I'm I'm pretty much rich right now. So we're good on the toilet paper front. I did uh, yesterday go stock up on hay. And we are getting um, just a couple of extra groceries. We're not we're not going to be crazy and wiping out aisles or anything like that. But just doing our normal grocery shopping and and uh, um, so we're uh, we're pretty good on that front. I was observing things that were uh, empty, and I'll let you guys get back to talking horses. Uh, I was observing parts of the shelves that were empty. Rice, <laughs> there was no rice of well, any. It's a long kind. shelf life, right? Yeah, I mean, people, the rice was rice was wiped out, and you never see that wiped out. Uh, and then the other thing that was wiped out was bleach. There must have been two gallons of bleach left, and you never see bleach. You don't see anybody buying bleach anymore. But yeah, the bleach was pretty much wiped out. So wow! So there you go. Well, guys, that's our continuing coverage. There is another website my brother does that has a ton of links on it. It's coronavirusinfoandlinks.com, coronavirusinfoandlinks.com, uh, or go to horseinthemorning.com and click on the Corona banner. Thanks, guys. Have a good show. Bye, Glenn. We'll be back tomorrow with more coverage and some really bad ads. I missed an opportunity. I could have played. I could have played the nifty breaking news. Bumper when he came home. Oh, yeah. You know, the song you need to play today is uh, Dan Robert. I think it's Dan Roberts' Ode to Ibuprofen. <laughs> <laughs> we, we may go with something a little bit more upbeat. We'll see. Anywho, on to horse training. Give your horse some rain and let them go forward. And as usual, regular listeners know, these ta- training tips are and topics are always inspired by something 
in the recent past that Mary experienced. So give us the background. How did we come up with this? So this is something uh, that I've been uh, telling a lot of my clients when I give private lessons. It seems, I feel like a broken record sometimes in that I, I'm oft repeating the same key points. And one of them is relax, which is very, I, I completely understand. It's very hard to do, especially if someone's yelling at you to relax. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and your horse is trotting around like a jackhammer. And uh, yeah, so one is relax. You're setting the tone for your horse. Um, the other is, um, let your horse go forward. Uh, so, you know, and this, this is across disciplines, riding Western dressage, you know, um, any kind of discipline. Um, most of these, uh, especially when you're showing your horse, uh, one of the key elements is trying to get your horse collected or, or riding in frame. And so usually when I'm teaching a lesson, I see students, uh, really have their horse on the bit and they're trying to pull their horse into frame or pull their horse's head down. And they don't realize they're doing it so much. That, um, but the, what I'm noticing is the horse continues to evade the bit. He's either behind the bit, pulling down, or he's got his head above the bit and he's walking, trotting, canering in a very stiff and jilted manner. And, the thing is, if your horse cannot move forward freely, then all that you're doing to try to wrestle him down into frame, it's it's not going to work. You're just you're fighting. You're just going to end up fighting your horse to get that to happen. Um, so the way I think of it, I don't know how many of y'all remember cars without power steering. Uh, <laughs> That was my first car was a little 72 VW Super Beetle. Um, oh, you were, the, and you were the coolest chick in town. I wish I was. No, no, it wasn't very impressive in my high See, school. See, now I it's super it cool. I thought it was the best car ever. Yeah, yeah, right? I thought it was the best car ever. But one thing I remember is when I'd start that car up in the morning, if I tried to turn the wheel while the car was going really slow or at a standstill, it was incredibly difficult. I have to really wrestle with that steering wheel to get those wheels to turn. So in order for me to be able to turn my car easily, I had to put some gas. Uh, you know, I had to touch on the gas and put some gas in the engine and, and go. And then the, then the wheel would loosen up and it's easier to handle um, the car. This is the very same with horses. And so, you know, I know some of y'all have kind of a, a really a powerful horse and you, you don't feel safe like going down to the buckle of your rein and just letting him go. And that's okay. You don't have to do that, but you do need to feed him rein and, and allow him to move forward and work on that part of the equation before trying to get his head down. The other day uh, I was teaching a lesson with a, an adorable little Morgan horse and he's just this lovely, lovely horse. And at the trot, it's exactly what he's doing is he's putting his head straight up in the air and he's trotting like a little jackhammer. So I hopped on, on the horse for a bit and I threw the reins to him cause he wasn't going anywhere. He was a good boy. Um, and just, I didn't care even where he went. All I cared about was forward, just go somewhere. And he had, he had difficulty with that part of the equation. So, and the funny thing is as soon as he had rain and he had, you know, literally free rein to go, um, his head just went down 
and he had this beautiful natural frame all by himself before I even began to pick up on the reins. So a lot of times if you feed your horse some rain and work on getting him to smooth out that stride and move forward and put some energy, that doesn't mean run off. You know, if he were to run off, I would slow him down and start again. Um, but that, you know, I want those shoulders to move freely. I want them to go in big straight lines or big circles without weaving all over the place. And at that point, then you can begin to collect the horse up and ask for softness. And it's usually a million times easier. So um, if you, some symptoms that your horse uh, that you that you can spot that might tell you your horse needs to go forward is um, if you were to give him free rein and not really control the direction of where he's going. Um, if you notice that his speed he speeds up and then slows down and then breaks to walk and then speeds up again, that tells you you need to keep working on just forward. Don't try to collect. And don't even really try to manage his steering that much if you're in, you know, if you're in an enclosed arena. Um, and work on just going forward until the speed evens out. He's going to find a constant speed and stay there if you work on this. Uh, so if you notice your horse is, is breaking gate, um, wanting to pop into canter or fall back into walk or change speeds constantly at the trot, uh, that tells you you need to work on forward. The other thing is if you, if you uh, tell your horse, listen, I'm not really going to steer you, and you ask him to go forward and he goes all over the place like fly to the bumblebee um that tells you you need to smooth out that gate and work on just forward and so this this is very counterintuitive and this horse in particular when i first gave him his rein and i said all i care about is forward i don't care where you go the first several minutes he whirly bird birded a bunch of tiny tiny little circles in the middle of the arena Huh. Yeah, and that's all he did is he just spun these tiny little circles. And here's the thing. He thought that if he ran to the middle, because his owner was standing in the middle, so he uh, was like, I'm just going to run to her yeah. and I'll be safe. I didn't punish him for doing that. I would steer him away from his owner and then put the rain back down because I didn't want him to run over his yeah, person. Right. Um, <laughs> he, he thought that would be the right answer from his point of view. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So and, and I didn't punish him for, for doing that. All I said was, you can go, you can run toward your owner, but guess what? I'm going to keep you trotting. You're, you're not going to get a break. So I, I just, I was very nonchalant, like, nope, keep trotting. Nope, keep trotting. Nope, keep trotting. So then he realized his owner wasn't going to save him. So he started running to the gates. There was a gate on either end of the arena. So he started going back and forth, one gate and, you know, one gate yeah. to the other. And I said, you can go to the gate if you want, but guess what? Once you get there, you're going to keep trotting. So yeah. he tried that so he, forever. He, he kept trying different answers to try, yeah. hoping that one of the ones he liked would be the one you liked. Yeah. So and then be, because doing, you didn't amp things up and get angry with him and punish him, he, he had no reason to, he, he just kept coming up with answers that weren't what you wanted, but also had very low consequences. Exactly. And see, this is the thing. If I had tried to hold him on the rail or wherever I wanted him to go, in his mind, he is always going to be thinking, yeah, but if I can get to the gate, it'll all be okay. So that's where he's going to bulge his shoulder out or drop his shoulder in. And when he does those things, or he's going to fall back or, or try to run through the bridle, when he does those things, collection will be a, a, an uphill battle. It will yeah, not right. work. So yeah. I said, listen, why don't you explore your options? 
you know, stay safe. If he were to like run off or do anything, un, you know, unmanageable, I'd gain control of him and then do it again. I wouldn't just, you know, let complete chaos happen. Um, but in it, and if I punished him and this is, this is a mistake I used to make it a mistake. I see some clinicians, uh, lead their students down this path and it always goes wrong. If he were to run to the gate and I, w- I were to go, why I ought to and whip him on the butt and run him in tiny circles near the gate. He's just going to be thinking harder that he wants to escape. And so he's going to try even harder. And I've seen horses. This is where horses will crash into fences, jump out of arenas. I've seen this happen um, because now they are in a frenzy trying to find escape. They're going in flight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Don't get emotional. Don't make them feel like. Ah! Yeah. No no wide eyed, flared nostrils. You don't want that. No. Yeah, I just yeah. kind of have this like, well, that's an interesting decision you made to go to the gate. But guess what happens at the gate? We're You're going to keep trotting. Yeah. So then what this horse started to do, and and here's what I would do. The horse didn't have a terrible amount of stamina at the trot. So I knew I could not make him continuously trot for 20 minutes. He just didn't have that mental energy to do it. He was a little bit out of shape because he hadn't been ridden in a little bit. So while I was doing all of this, if there was a moment where he kind of hit a straight line and went down the rail a little bit and he was away from the gates and away from his person, I'd break him down all the way to a stop and I'd say, okay, that's, that's really close. That's what I'm looking for. Here's where the relief is. So went straight. You didn't, you didn't pull me in one direction or the other. You didn't try to park in a corner at the gate or at your person. Here is where the release is. Explain what you mean by break him down into a, and finally to a halt. Explain the difference between what that is versus have him stop. So for me, this comes from my reigning horse background. I have two ways to get the horse to come to a standstill. One is I say the word, whoa. And if I, on a reigning horse or really any of my horses, cause I train them all this way. If I say the W word, I don't even say that word. Like if I'm giving a lesson or I'm explaining to someone what I'm doing with my horse, I do not say, and I, I always say this, I'm like, uh, I'll tell them, say that word. And they're usually like, what word? I'm like, you know, the W word, because to me, that word is sacred. That means one thing. It means bury your butt in the ground right now. Um, and if it's a horse that I've trained, you know, a finished training horse, that means slide, you know, so I don't want to waste that word. And I don't want to make my horse do this extremely difficult advanced maneuver unless I mean it. So, so I have, so if I have that method of, I want you to come to a stop now. Um, so that is a very sacred thing that I only do at certain points. I don't want to wear it out. I don't want to wear out my horse by stopping them like that a hundred times in a session. They only have so many good stops like that to give you in their life. So you treat them very carefully. Um, so, but let's say I need to come to a stop for whatever reason, or I want to reward my horse with a break and let them stand still. If my horse did something beautiful for me, like he did, gave me this gorgeous lead change, and then I say, whoa, and he does not stop correctly, I have to fix that. So now I don't get to reward that beautiful lead change because the stop didn't happen right. So I need my horse to come to a stop. I don't want to risk having a bad whoa happen, if this makes sense. But I, I want him to come to a stop. So the, the next thing I do, the second thing I do to get my horse his feet to stand still is I do what I call letting them break down. And in this case, it's simply me me relaxing my seat and just relaxing everything. I quit riding. I might hum to them a little bit. Humming to them is my way 
uh, that's the cue I used to get my horse to slowly break down. And when I when I let my horse break down, that means, let's say we're recantering. We're cantering along and I'm like, oh, this is a good spot for a break. I'm going to relax every, you know, relax my body, relax my aids. I may hum to them. And that tells the horse, you can just slowly trickle down, go from canter, 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 trot, 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 walk, 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 stop and relax. And you so know, a- you talk about this from the reining point of view, but this is a skill set that horse and rider should have and should practice regardless of your discipline because the fact that you pointed out, you get your horse to do something for that particular horse and that particular moment was difficult and you want to offer a reward, the reward being take a break. If you don't have that available, the process of going from got the correct move you want to break to standing still, if that takes 22 strides or a full circle, the horse is forgotten. He's not getting the reward for the right thing. Yes. He's, he's like, he's on to the next thing. Okay, he, he picked up left lead canter. Yay, goody for me. Okay, now we have to do a really good transition from canter back to trot because you don't want to be rewarding a bad transition. And then I have to go from trot to walk. And then I have to go from walk to halt, all with all the right aids and a good um, response from the horse. You've missed your opportunity to reward the Canada part, which was what you wanted to go with. But by having that skill set where you can say, canter left. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. <gasps> oh, let's take a break now. And it's it's almost like, okay, reward break time. It's almost a bridge signal that you're using, except it's a physical communication with the horse. And I'm coming at this because I've used it with Nigel, who I'm an English rider. Nigel's primarily an English horse. Um it's something that we've developed ourselves and I found it incredibly useful, but we're running short on time because we geek out and go down rabbit holes. I know <laughs> we're running out of time. Um, we're going to hear from our title sponsor today, Horseware, who distributes this product called Ice Vibe, which is the most amazing thing in the world for every competition and ho- hardworking horse in the universe. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. And do that. Go to the website and look at the science behind these things. Because I'm sure in Mary's world, when you go to reigning competitions and other Uh, competitive events in the Western world. There's lots of horses standing around with ice before they get ridden, after they get ridden overnight, et cetera, et cetera. Am I right? Oh yeah. That was, in fact, when I was an assistant trainer, that was like 90% of my job was icing. (laughs) The glamorous job of the assistant trainer. Yeah. We we were, (laughs) my boss would be riding like 22 horses a day. And that was my job was every horse, two-year-old, three-year-old finished derby horse, they would get iced. Um, that was incredibly important. That That is one of the single best therapeutic things out there is, is that cryotherapy is so 
good for him. Yeah, um, it is. That amazing. was a big part of my job. <laughs> and they, they did a lot. Of, we interviewed the person who invented Ice Five a while back. And it was fascinating because they discovered standing a horse on cross ties or in a stall or just standing still and adding ice to whatever section or sections was uh, minimally effective. But when they added the vibration therapy, yes. therapy, whole new ball game. So check it out, everybody. Um, Mary knows she's used to riding horses who are incredibly athletic and trained and knows, knows her stuff. So speaking of knowing your stuff, you need to let your horse have his rein and move forward. So you have a horse who's, who is by nature quite forward and who is reasonably fit or thinks they're reasonably fit. In case you haven't caught on yet, I'm thinking about off-the-track thoroughbreds and the sort. Endurance horses, Arabians, horses who are just naturally forward going. Mm-hmm. But letting them go on a free rein willy-nilly all over the place, not necessarily the best thing scary. in the world. A little scary. A little yeah. scary. <laughs> and what I found early on in life that a lot of horses, if you just do that with, with no input at all, just go do your thing. You may as well just lunge them in a circle because all they're going to do is run off excess energy and make themselves more fit. But you didn't really get any of the brain cells going. So having co-hosted this uh, show with you many, many times now. I've learned a few things. I take notes. I really Woo-hoo. do. Have, I have post-it notes when I do this show. Uh, and the the single rain stop that we have talked about on several occasions on this show, very, very useful. So if you go to Horses in the Morning and you just put up in, this, in the search bar like single rain or something like that, you'll probably find the episodes. Because like you said, you're in an area, field, arena, round pen. Okay, we need to get forward. Say trot to your horse. And Nigel starts to trot. And within about 10 steps, he's galloping along with his head between his knees. It doesn't take long to light him up. I have found that using the single rein stop, which is nothing more than a way to make a horse come to a complete stop with one aid. One rein doing one thing. So he knows exactly what that is. I can help control his exuberance. Okay, let's let's trot. We need to trot forward and we need to trot relaxed. But I don't want to get into your mouth because then all I have was a horse with a headset and a stiff back. Okay, he trots. Three, four, five steps. Uh-oh, here we go. It's bucking time. Single rein stop. <sighs> Take a breath. Wait a moment. Walk. Okay. Let's try it again. Do, 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 do. Oh, no, here we go again. Four strides later, we have our head between his... Uh, stop. And because he wants to move forward, he has energy, his reward is being allowed to go forward. But he has to exercise a little bit of emotional control and move forward without putting his head between his knees and being a silly bronc pony. And that is very effective for him versus a few years back, what I probably would have done was... Take hold of his mouth, put him to work, put him on the bit, ride him up into the rain, and then I would have control over him. There wouldn't be bucking, there would not be hijinks, but what I would have would be a horse who was both mentally and physically tight. He wouldn't Mm -hmm. soften through his back, he wouldn't come through, he wouldn't stretch, he wouldn't use his top line properly. And what what will happen is 25 minutes later of 
a lot of trotting, a lot of circles, a lot of serpentines, a lot of transitions. 25 minutes later, I would finally get the horse to come through. So now I have maybe 15 minutes left of my work session. So I've just had my horse work incorrectly for 25 minutes and work correctly for 15 minutes. So what kind of muscle memory am I building up? Yep. He's And yeah, all you're doing is building all those muscles underneath the top line. So those lower, and I can, I can look at a horse and tell how he's been ridden based on like how he's muscled up. Like if that, if that, a lower neck muscle is really yep. beefed up and he's kind of you neck, you know, confirmation plays a part. And, uh, yeah. And, and I can tell that horses run around like an upside down banana. Um, and they could be an upside down banana, even though if you look at them at first glance, it looks like the horses, I'm going to use my air quotes on the bit or moving correctly. When in fact, all they've done is put their head and neck down and they're not using their core. They're just faking it, what I call faking it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that's the, yeah, that's the other factor of this. The, the horse that I mentioned earlier was a more laid back horse who was just looking for rest. So I used that. I'm like, you'll get rest as long as you give me some effort. And then we were able to, by the end of that lesson, he, I had a loose rein. I wasn't steering him. And guess what? He was going on the rail. Wow. Was, yeah. He was going long and low on the rail. And I, I told the owner, I said, the, work on this for the next several rides mm-hmm. before you ever try to collect him. Because now look before he was bulging his shoulder out, he was trying to jump to the inside. His head was in the air. He was fighting the bit. And now without me touching the bit, we're going forward. We're going consistent. We got this beautiful long and low thing. I'm not even steering him and he's on the rail. So the opposite problem is you'll say, well, my horse isn't lazy. My horse wants to go. So our natural instinct is to hold him back. And you will, you will be in an arms race with this horse if, if you do this. He will pull forward and you will try everything in your power to white knuckle him to keep him from doing the bad things. And then, okay, my little egg butt snaffle's not working. Maybe I'll go to a little Pelham bit. Maybe I'll do like a little running martingale. Um, maybe I'll, I'll shut that noseband oh, down and, a little it's tighter. It's literally the arms race, except instead of... Uh, buying more and cre- creating more weapons, you're creating more tack. I see what you're yes. going with that. And then <laughs> that's, a, that's actually learn, a good metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you put a little curb chain, little little uh, leverage action on him, and you'll you'll shut him down for that week. And then he'll realize, yeah, I could pull through this too. And then, okay, well, let's uh, let's try a, a little higher port. Let's try yeah. our thinner twist in my snapple. Yeah. Um, and and then, a lot of horses, it's not just they. They learn they can. Some horses, physically and or mentally, I think that I think the two pretty much go together. They feel like they have to because, yes, because they've always been held on to. They've never learned to. It's like if, just like with the lazy horse, he's looking for safety. He's where am I going to feel safe? Yeah. And so the lazy horse is trying to find where he can stop moving, uh, but the the fresh horse or the forward horse is gonna. He's going to say, where can I get out of this pull? And I tell you what, the first, my first horse, this was her. She was a Morgan freight train locomotive and I was 11. <laughs> so my little 11 year old knuckles were, were white knuckling trying to hold her. And, um, for several years I was just trying to hold back a hurricane and I'm just this tiny little rider. And I had trainers go, okay, let's do running Martin, but Gail, let's do I, I went through all the bits I had like a double twist dog bone full cheek snaffle on her at one point. And 
ironically, the person who made me let go of the reins was a dressage trainer, which you would think they're always about contact and on the bit. Uh, it was this little old lady in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, and she specialized in eventing, but she's very gifted with dressage. And she told me, and we're in the middle of a field. I took a lesson with her and she goes, go down to the buckle. And I'm like, are you crazy? I'm going to die. <laughs> and I tell you what, as soon as I did, and she made me canter circles around her down on the buckle. That horse goes, thank you. This is what I needed. And as soon as she didn't, she realized that I wasn't fighting her anymore. She became a Western pleasure pony. I'm like, where was this my whole life? Yeah. And it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't always happen where you let go of the reins and everything fixes. It was just, it was a miracle with that horse. Yeah. But the horse is looking for safety. And if you're constantly pulling, 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 and you're giving them no feedback for any amount of try, they're going to find the, the feeling of safety themselves. And they might find that by running harder and faster through your hands. And again, it's an arms race. You'll, you'll get stronger with your equipment. They'll get stronger. You'll get stronger. They'll get stronger until you can't stop them. And, and at the very extreme version of this, you end up with a runaway. And once that happens, you've got a problem. You're going to, you're going to have a heck of a time fixing it. It might be a lifelong thing you're battling. So here's the thing. You've got to give them a little rain, do it in a controlled setting, have a trainer do it if you're, if you're feeling a little unsafe and you've got to trust that horse a little bit. The, the thing about forward, forward in my mind does not mean fast. I can get yeah. forward at a walk. Um, yeah. so my, my rule of thumb is I'll give that horse a little rain and say, trot on. And if I sense them building speed, if they go trot. Trot, 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 trot. If I feel that, I'm going to interrupt that process. So I might go all the way to a one rein stop, like we explained earlier, or I might just use that energy and st I'll usually do something lateral because if I pull back, sometimes horses like that won't respond to half halts. You know, they are beyond that. I'll do something lateral. Let's spiral you down in a circle for a little bit. And once you slow down, I'm going to let you go again. And they might go trot, 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 trot. When I feel that, okay, let's do a serpentine. Let's do a spiral. Let's do a circle. Let's do a triangle, whatever. Something lateral. I might go, <laughs> yeah, whatever it takes. So I'll, I'll make a shape. And, um, or I might do all a one rein stop. Now, I had to interrupt that horse and take a hold of the rein and direct them. But as soon as I get them back to where I need them, here's the hardest thing in the world to do. I'm going to give them a chance again. Don't, don't continue to hold them, you know, say, try it again. And you might have to do that. It might take several rides of you, you trot them a few strides, shut them down, trot them a few strides, shut them down, trot them a few strides, shut them down. But if you always give them a chance, treat them like they're going to be so good this time and it's going to be perfect. What you will start to experience, this is my favorite thing, is I'll let the reins go again. And they'll go trot, 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 trot. And then I'll see their, it click. They'll go, oh, she's going to shut me down. I'm going to come back myself. When that happens, that's learning. When they make the decision on their own and they, they know what's coming, if they trot too fast, they're going to have to work it harder in a little circle or they're going to get shut all, shut all the way down. They'll fix it themselves. Let them fix themselves. Give them a chance. And pretty soon... You know, the beginning of this, I might have been able to go three trot strides without having to intervene, but then I'll be able to go five trot strides and 10 trot strides until pretty soon I'm trotting around the rail 
on a nice big loose rein. And I will not work on collection or fancy lateral half passes and stuff on that horse until I start to get that where I can put them on the buckle and trot nice, big, lazy circles with consistent energy and speed. So forward does not mean nostrils flaring, white eye, freight train. Forward also means relaxed. So they need to be forward and relaxed. You cannot get good collection or frame or pretty lateral maneuvers until you have that. That's the that's the cornerstone of everything you're doing because if the horse is constantly trying to evade the bit either by charging through it or falling behind it or bulging one way or the other with their shoulders or with their hips, you physically cannot put that horse in frame. You've got to get that gas going, that engine moving. And once that happens and then you ask for softness, you will be floored with how light it is. They're so wonderfully soft. Once you get that forward, you get that mental energy good and relaxed. That's, that is the cornerstone for everything. Forward, forward, forward. There you go. Forward, forward, forward. And again, like you said, there's a difference between forward and fast because a horse can be going quite slow miles per hour, but still be forward. I think of forward as posture combined with miles per hour. Like, you know how some people have a naturally tall and erect posture and some people have a naturally kind of S-curvy, slouchy posture. That's me. <laughs> that, there you go. The slouchy posture I think of as the horse who's not going forward. That slouchy person can walk really, really fast, but he's not going forward. At the same yeah, time, you, you really can take the person with... Yeah? Go ahead. You you really I feel it in the shoulders because so yes. like with this particular Morgan I was talking about, he had a real jackhammer trot and it felt like he had a noose around his shoulders. Yeah. And I I put a ton of leg to him and gave him a ton of rain and I said, Go, even if you can or just go. Like and they when I felt him break through that all of a sudden, those you'll feel that shoulder mm -hmm. just swing. Yeah, the trot and gets when, all fluffy and soft. Oh, <laughs> and, and it, it's such a beautiful trot that you don't even have to try posting. No. They just push you into that upward yep. position. It's beautiful. And, um, and you'll feel that swing through their shoulders, through their hips. And what usually happens, and I've had this happen on every confirmation horse, Frisian, quarter horse, Morgan, naturally high-headed breeds, all of a sudden that pole just drops. And they you can get long and low without having to put their head down. They just, all of a sudden, that you feel that top line raise up. You feel the shoulder swing, that head and neck decompress, and they, they lower that head. They reach for that bit. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'm addicted to that feeling. Oh, gosh. The first, I, I distinctly remember the first time I rode a horse that mo was was moving that way, went from the hollow jackhammer to the round and soft and fluffy. Um, I'll, and I was the same. It just made me laugh. We started calling it the giggle trot because you're right. You definitely feel it through their shoulders when they start using the correct combination of musculoskeletal parts. And it is indeed effortless. When you hear about people who take their horses on endurance rides or fox hunting or back in the day, riding the horse for six or eight hours at a trot. It really is effortless once the horse starts to move that way. And there's there's a reason that in dressage, the goal was to get the horse moving that way consistently because it was 
um, efficient for him, but it was also incredibly in- efficient for the rider. Yeah. You, yeah, you, you don't have to do anything. You're just, in. you, mm-hmm. and I remember going, I'm not doing anything. And that's precisely what's going on. You are, you and your horse are just kind of that whole one centaur thing. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a good, like, you know, if, if I'm a cowboy and I got to check fences all day, I want that, I want to hit that either at a walk or a trot, that big, long, effortless stride where you can just do that for hours. It's a, uh, you want to feel that and then you can start bringing them into frame. There you go. You can you can start finagling exactly where you want the balance and exactly where you want the miles per hour and exactly where you want the stride length comes after the freely forward part. Exactly. Got to exactly. get that first. Dun, dun, dun. Well, we, for once in our lives, have time to do a question Woo-hoo. before our guest. Do you have one picked out? Uh, let's see. We got a lot of very similar questions. Uh, let's start with one from Jenny Brubaker. Have you ever met a horse that couldn't be trained and was best to have as a pasture ornament? Um, mm. Yes and no. So I firmly believe you can put training on any horse. Any horse can be trained. They can accept training. I have not met one that I thought, Oh, there's something wrong with your brain and you're not going to take any information. Um, but I have met a number of horses that I felt uh, where training, it, it was not something I was willing to put myself or the horse through. And this, this is di- the criteria for this is different for everyone. Um, so I've come across two Mustangs in my uh, training career that I thought you need to be on a hill looking pretty somewhere because you're going to, you're going to kill me or you're going to kill someone else. Um, now it, one must, one Mustang in particular, I got him for the 2013 Mustang million and um, was able to halter him. But that was as far as I could go. Um, he, he was, he was going to do damage. Uh, he was, the most wild horse I've personally come across. And he was tricky um, because he would calm down to the point where he was like, come on in here, get close. And he, he was aiming. <laughs> He's like, get, uh-huh. get real close. I'm crafty. Calm, I yeah. swear. Yeah. I've never met, met a horse that I really truly felt was calculating like that. I usually say that they don't do that, but this horse, I swear. And um, I was bound to determine to make him work. I had put aside any dreams I had of like winning the Mustang million with him. I wasn't concerned about that. I just wanted to see if, if we could give him a chance. Um, and I actually sent him to another trainer to say, could you do anything with him? Cause I'm, I know that I can't, I like, I was, I was very honest about where I felt my capabilities ended. And, uh, this other trainer actually got him riding, um, which is amazing. But, he early on, I could tell he was never going to get to a point where you could trust him. He was the kind of horse, like every time you get off of him, you better get off at the shoulder and for God's sakes, don't fall off of him. Um, so I was very realistic and, and I actually did, I'll be honest about this. I returned him to the BLM and I told him, I said, he needs to go to long-term holding. He needs to be on a hill somewhere looking gorgeous. He never should have been rounded up. They can't control, you know, you, you don't know what the horse is going to be until you right. get them. Right. Um, 
but yeah, so could that horse have made a riding horse? Yeah, he, he'd been ridden. Um, and yeah, at some point in his life, I think he was going to be a rideable horse, but I don't know. I don't feel that he ever would have been one. I, I would not have adopted him to the public for sure. So yes, there are those horses out there. And then there are horses out there that I can train and I can ride and I can get along with, but they're not going to be a horse for their owner. Um, so, you know, uh, I think people are too hard on other people sometimes for quote unquote giving up on a horse, but you know, we have one life and we have, you know, people out there who have careers they can't walk away from if they're hurt. They have families that they can't let down if they're hurt or killed or disabled by a horse. Um, so I have no problem with being realistic about your abilities, the time you have to put into a horse, and, and also what you want with your horse. Um, you know, for many, many people, you have one week in a month, and you want you want a horse that you don't have to worry about or fret about, and you can, you know, you can have your friends ride, you can take on trails. There's nothing wrong with that. And so, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to, really admit that to yourself. What do you want? What can you realistically manage? Is this horse going to work for that? And if not, you need to find another situation for that horse. So, so yeah, that's a very, uh, kind of nuanced question. Um, like I said, I, I believe every horse can accept training. Um, but there are some horses that this is never going to be the horse that you can give a week off and hop on and not think about it and go down the trail with your friends and have everything be okay. Um, so yeah, there's, tra there's training and there's training. There's a career and a person for every horse. And sometimes the human and the horse horse and his careers that he's going to be happy in, they don't always meet in the middle. Sometimes exactly. they need to be, mean to be separate. And I think you're, you're right. We're, we're hard on one another as horse people when it comes to this horse and I are not working out. And I think that's deeply rooted in our mistrust because as horse people, we have a tendency to go, this is my horse. I love this horse. No one could love this horse as much as I do. And I don't trust anybody else to take yeah. responsibility it's for difficult. his future. We're, it's hard to do that. And we tend to mistrust people. And that is very, very difficult but are we doing the horse a service if we are unable ourselves or are unable to find someone else who can give that horse sufficient training that he can be a good citizen there's something in the dog world called a good citizen award or or training basic skills that allow that dog to live a safe and contented life amongst humans so if you suddenly were disappeared off the face of the earth when Ragnarok happened, another human being randomly chosen by the universe could take that dog and he could continue living his safe and happy life. We don't have that in the horse universe. I wish we did. I wish we had a kind of a national standard good citizenship. Every horse needs this skill set and this skill set needs to be good enough that any human being that knows how to put a halter on can react with this horse yeah and if I your horse if you can't horse. train your horse to do that you need to find somebody else who will so that that horse can have a responsible safe life going forward with someone else 
Oh yeah, and there there are a ton of cowboy horses out there that are um, incredible at their jobs, and they have owners that know, you know, old Buck, you you better you better stay frosty in that saddle for the first two hours of riding because he might do something. Um, but that they they're going to ride that horse for twelve to fifteen hours today. And they need that kind of energy in that horse. And they know first few hours, you better watch them. And if it's a little cold and, you know, mm-hmm. you bet. And, and they get around that horse and that horse is perfect in that job, but they can't sell old buck to be a trail string horse. No. And so, yeah, there, there's a person for every horse. And, uh, but yeah, I, I turned down a horse that was coming to me on a consignment basis. So I wasn't being paid to train him. Him. I was I was getting a small fee to uh, try to resell him, and he was a nice horse. He could be ridden pretty easily. He had some cool stuff, but he couldn't stand tied. Um, and if I had him in training, it's a different thing. I would I would work on that through training, start but the, start from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I had to explain to this owner he cannot be tied. I cannot, in good conscience, sell this horse to the public that cannot be tied. So that that is what I would put on my good citizenship list is I need to be able to tie him for a reasonable amount of time without him going nuts. I cannot sell that horse if he can't do that. Yeah, that's interesting because it's a, it's actually a very, very common hole in a horse's skill set is being confined by way of a halter attached to something solid. Whether it's cross ties or like, what do you call it, hard tying, and it, but tying to a wall, tying to a fence, um, and staying there for an extended period of time while the world happens around them. That's a really, really common skill set that's missing. Yet, it's a skill set that every person who is willing to take on a horse that doesn't have the skill set. The human needs to know how to teach it, right? Because if you get a horse yeah. in that doesn't know how to tie, but you don't know how to teach a horse that's already figured out that tying is bad, because this is this is a remedial horse. This is not a horse that's got a clean slate. We all need to understand that remedial process. And if we don't, we need to understand that I can need to go to try, trainer X, Y, or Z who does know how, and then I get to participate participate in that process because once they've it's been my experience at least that once a horse has a problem being tied that's a problem that they're it's always willing to crop back up again it never completely disappears and you need to be cognizant of that for the horse's sake not just for yours yeah and it shows up in other areas of training too it's it's a strong evasion to pressure it can be conquered but you got to get a hold of it early on yeah, interesting. We could, my gosh, we could do an entire show just on tying. You kidding? Everybody would fall asleep, but we could do that. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, we're going to take a quick break for a song, and in the interest of today's top training topic, which was let your horse move move forward, we're going to have a little bit of Templeton Thompson, a horse that can fly. We'll be right back. Caged in, need to get a little air so I can breathe again. 
Got a thirst in my heart, hunger in my eyes, need to satisfy my soul. Free my wild side, my wheels have been spinning like crazy in my head. Gotta get back to living before I forget. My sights are set where well, that green grass is, a good running start. She get me Fresh pair of wings and a long stretch of sky. I've sat up these dreams, I'm holding on tight. Need a good, strong, tall wind and a horse that can fly. Yeah. Got a load on my back and a lot on my mind. Yeah, the weight of this world really gets me sometimes There's a freedom inside me I've been missing so much Gonna kick the gates wide open And live a big old cloud of dust Yeah, 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 yeah I need somewhere to run Somewhere to ride A fresh pair of wings And a long stretch of sky Sad of these dreams, holding them tight. Need a good, strong, tall wind and a horse that can fly. Yeah. Giddy up, look at what lies on the Second star to the left, then straight on till morning. Sunny somewhere to run, somewhere to run. A fresh pair of wings and a long stretch of sky. Sad of these dreams, holding on tight. Need a good, strong, tall wind And a horse that can fly yeah. I need a horse that can fly Killing all people, killing all people my favorites from Templeton Thompson. You can find her music at templetonthompson.com. You can also stream it on your favorite music streaming service, A Horse That Can Fly. So we have come to that time of the day 
Yeah, we've got Jeff Sanders on the phone. And if I'm not mistaken, we're calling you in Spain. Is that correct? I'm, I'm in Europe, but I'm not actually in Spain at the moment. Um, but I'm normally in Spain right now. Right now, I'm in the Czech Republic at the moment. Oh, cool. How cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I kind of had to stand on one leg and put one arm in the air and just make the <laughs> connection all work correctly. So, okay. yeah. That sounds like my <laughs> barn. Um, that's exactly what I have to do. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, your specialty uh, in horsemanship is something that is known as California horsemanship. And I've actually often heard the term California interchanged with the word vaquero. Um, could you explain a little bit about what that is? And, and uh, is it the same as vaquero horsemanship? What is the correct term to use for what you do? That is a good question. Um Vaquero just basically means cowboy in Spanish. I mean, in Spain, I work with a lot of Spanish vaqueros there, um, and it's um, it just basically means anybody that works with horses and cattle. So different people look at it differently, um, but basically what I teach has been kind of passed down through the family um, for about six generations of California horsemanship specifically. So my family started riding California uh, stock horses, bridle horses back in 1854. So wow. I just kind of am keeping that tradition going. And uh, it's really exciting. I, I don't know if this has been your experience, but it seems like there's been a resurgence in interest in this type of work with horses, um, especially the traditional hackamore. Um, have you had that? Have you found that there's been more interest in the last several years? Absolutely. I started, um, I started traveling and teaching about 10 years ago and the interest has really exploded. And I think a lot of people are realizing that you can get a lot more done in a Hackamore in a Bozelle than what most people used to think. And I mean, we're doing a lot of work with different places, including even like the Royal Baroque riding school in Germany is using hackamores with the training for some of their horses now. Oh, so wow. it's really spread kind of worldwide. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. They're just getting better results than they were with some of their other tools. Well, and I believe I've even seen uh, a show jumper. I, I think he's from Italy who's yep. doing Grand Prix jumping in a traditional uh, hackamore. Austria. I think he's Austria. Austrian. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, and he, um, he last year he won one of the big competitions in just a regular rawhide 5 hackamore. Wow. Yep. Now, uh, when people hear the word hackamore, I see this uh, mis uh, uh, misunderstanding on what it is in the Western world. There's a few different, and there's a different kind of hackamore even in the English side. So when we're referring yeah. to hackamore, yeah, what's the, what, what exactly kind of equipment are we talking about? We're specifically talking about a braided rawhide um, hackamore or like braided leather over a rawhide core. We're definitely not talking about any of the, the metal, any of the steel stuff, any of the mechanical hackamores, that kind of stuff. Basically, we're just talking about a dead piece of cow. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and that's, what, that's what we're using. And, and we've, got, um, we've got history behind this that the Spanish brought it with them. But we've found history all the way back to the, to the 13th century. 
of um, in Arabia, like the Moors, using an exact hackamore, just like what we think of as far as the rawhide braided hackamores today. Um, I've got I've got documentation of that um, in in the book that I wrote last year. Wow, that's uh, it's really cool to kind of be able to trace it back to its roots overseas and and how it's really developed in the U.S. and sort of become the basis of our Western style horsemanship. Um, so, uh, one of the things, one of the reasons why I was interested in having you on. So we've got the Hackamore, and I know you've written a really wonderful book about it. Um, and and there's so few, uh, in my experience, really great resources on what the equipment is and how to use it. So that's something I'm for sure going to be checking out. But when it comes to equipment, um, I'm, uh, I've tried a few different pieces of equipment myself, um, and it might not involve a bit. So we think, oh, it's much kinder because we're not using a bit like, a, you know, some yeah. people feel that way about a mechanical hackamore. Um, but one piece of equipment that's gotten really popular lately because um, it's really kind of cool looking is something called a war bridle. And this is kind of yeah. a leather. yeah. Yeah, and, and this is a, a leather uh, or it can be a different type of material that goes around the horse's bottom jaw and it does not involve a head stall. And it yep. looks really non-invasive and kind of natural and cool because it's just the reins going straight to your horse's mouth. And you put a really interesting insight on that. So for people that might be interested in a war bridle, what are your thoughts on that um, and, yeah. and how that works? I, I have a few concerns, and um, a lot of it comes to um, biomechanics. Um, I'm, I get a little concerned with any tool that, is, that, that runs a risk of off-centering the horse's lower jaw. Mm-hmm. Um, we know when the horse eats, they move their lower jaw back and forth as they grind. Um, but if you grab your horse's, the top of your horse's nose and you grab the bottom of their lower jaw and you try to move that yourself, you'll find that it's just like a fraction before you start feeling resistance. Um, That resistance through that jaw is then going to translate into um, a lack of freedom of movement in the horse. For one, Um, we could potentially start creating some pain in the the TMJ of the horse. Um, Another problem that we have is as we use that tool, um, I worry about the restriction of the tongue. And this is another really important aspect that a lot of people um, don't realize with the biomechanics is that anytime we restrict the tongue, we restrict the freedom of movement in several places of the horse. Um, The muscles that connect to the base of the tongue also connect down into the chest. So that would limit that horse's ability to lift the withers. Um, The muscles also connect directly to the shoulders, which then will limit that horse's freedom of movement in the shoulders. But it goes even further. When you restrict the tongue, you can actually 20% of the free range of motion in the hind limbs as well. And we found oh, wow. that while doing complete uh, dissecting to me, um, it was, I was kind of shocked. We were doing uh, dissections of horses, and we we're testing some of this, doing actual dissections. That limitation is on a, it's on a dead horse. So it has to do with the fascia and the connections to the horse's body, but are two of the big things for me that really make me kind of shy away from that particular tool because it has the potential to really 
um, not be as kind as we might think. You know, we think, well, it's, it's bitless, so it's going to be kinder. And in reality, when we off-center that jaw and we start um, restricting that tongue, we can create some other problems, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and that's uh, I, I've noticed that um, I have one in my barn because, again, like a lot of people, I thought, oh, this is really cool. And I've played yeah. with it a few times, and I was just – there were t- my two biggest concerns. You know, I don't have the, the knowledge that you do of the biomechanics, but – uh, I did feel a lot more resistance than I expected to feel, yeah. and I, I decided not yep. to explore that further. And then um, I also was very fearful of if for some reason maybe I come off of the horse or something comes yeah. loose and I've got a rein dangling, I would be terrified if that horse stepped on that rein with their jaw yes, restricted absolutely. the way it is you know it, it's bad enough with it when they do it with the bit but it seems like they could escape yeah. uh some of the harm um so so that's really interesting is, is things might not always appear what they seem on the surface and um back to the whole california tradition and i saw this come up in in your post on the subject as well is um, sometimes a piece of equipment can look quite menacing, but (laughs) (laughs) you know where I'm going with this. Um, I might. (laughs) Yeah, it it can look quite menacing, but but really um, the way it's used um, is not so much. So so with the California tradition, um, many of you might know that it starts with uh, the traditional hackamore. Some guys start in a snaffle, which is... Uh, that came about later, but from the hackamore, uh, we start looking into putting bits in the horse and uh, the traditional, we've got the traditional California type spade. And when I first saw this thing, I thought, oh my gosh, that looks like it needs to be plugged in at night. It's like, it's got like these copper coiled wires on it. It's got a pretty, pretty large port. So when you first look at it, you're thinking, oh my gosh, um, that looks pretty crazy. Um, so. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the spade, why it's used, and uh, and and how it works? Yeah, it's it's probably one of the most misunderstood pieces of equipment in the Western, you know, gear um, world. That um, people they kind of visualize that bit in accordance with their own mouth. Mm-hmm. And the bit is actually very specifically designed for the shape of a horse's mouth, which is long and narrow, which is also what the bit is. Um, A lot of people think it goes way too far up in the horse's mouth, but the end of that spade stops or should stop at the top of the first premolar. So you've got five more teeth up above where that spade bit stops. And what the bit does is it actually allows the horse more surface area to grab a hold of and hold. And the horse can actually control that bit much better than it can a lot of other bits. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's actually easier for a horse to grab a hold of it and run away with it than yeah. it is a lot of other bits. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's absolutely true. This is part of why it's so important that we prepare the horse for the bit with the hackamore first. So most people, it's hard for them to, to visualize riding their horse without using the reins and, and pulling, because that's what we all, you know, that's what most people do. You put a bit in and you use the reins and you pick up the pressure on the reins and you get the response that way. Um, but with the spade bit, 
it's more, much more about riding with your seat and your legs and preparing the horse ahead of time. So using the hackamore to get the horse ready for the bit instead of using the bit to train the horse. So by the time we put the bit in the horse's mouth, the horse is basically fully trained or as fully trained as, you know, as what we want for our, our normal work. And then the bit just helps with polishing. It helps that horse to balance. Um, it ho- helps that horse to find a nice neutral position with their head and neck. And it also helps that horse to be able to feel signals in a much more refined way than what we can do with a hackamore or what we could do with a lot of other bits. It just has a lot more ways that it can communicate than most other bits, any of the bitless tools as well. And um, yeah, that I think oh, in the, my exploration of this kind of writing, because I found it just incredibly intriguing, I think the thing that made the light bulb go off in my brain was um, a lot of us, especially early on in our careers, go down this path of um, you put the snaffle in the horse and until he no longer responds to the snaffle and then it's time for the bridle. And I found this to be true uh, in a lot of the barns that I worked in, like right around when the horses had about a year of riding, Snaffle's not really doing that much anymore. So we go to like a correction bit, uh, your typical Western bridle bits, and then he'll flunk out of one of those. So you go a little bit more, a little bit more. And it's, I was actually talking about this earlier in the show, it becomes an arms race. You get a stronger bit, the horse gets stronger on the bit. And so a lot of programs unwittingly kind of revolve around this concept of the horse constantly flunks out of equipment. But the way the with the spade work and the bridle horse, the way it should go is the horse graduates to that equipment. Yep. And that same horse, if at any point in time you want to go back ready for college. Yeah. Oh, and it, Oh, not a problem. Talk over you? You're fine. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and at any point you can take the spade out of that horse's mouth and ride around in the hackamore or, or if you want to go with a snaffle. Um, so that was, uh, both uh, an incredible epiphany for me and it was it took some time to wrap my head around um, getting it done right um, so like in the reigning horse world or a lot of western performance um, type uh, disciplines that I've done uh, we're talking a two or three year program where that horse is yeah. showing at the top levels which on the outset man that's a long time two or three years to get a horse trained <laughs> Yeah, but with the California style, it, it's meant to take much longer. So, um, yes. yeah, so if if you, if I was to give you a two-year-old or three-year-old or whatever age you want to start the horse right now, uh, do you have like mm-hmm. kind of a guess of what age he's going to be to the point, if you were riding him consistently, where do you think is, is about the age that you'd start to think about putting a spade in his mouth? That's a good question. And, um, for me, starting horses, um, I generally start them later, just as kind of a bit of a side note. My little son, um, I bought him wild in Spain as a four-year-old, untouched. Wow. Um, and we don't really have a timeline. A lot of people will say, okay, it's two years in a hackamore, two years in the two-ring, and the two-ring is a real secret to all of this. And then you're, you're straight up in the bridle. So four years total but it really is horse dependent. And then sometimes I had one little mare that I had her in the hackamore for six years just because I could. 
she was she kept getting lighter and better in the hackamore and so i just kept her in the hackamore because she kept improving in the hackamore and i just kept her in the hackamore to see how long i could so i kept her in the hackamore for six years and she got really good and then changes i needed i ended up having to sell her so i put her in the terrain and then straight up and i was going to sell her um so i don't really have a timeline generally that you know most people will say years in the hackamore two years in the bridal I mean, in the two rain and then up and straight up in the bridle. Um, and then in the old tradition, uh, uh, like my horse, my stallion now, he's, I don't even ride up. He's never had a snaffle in his mouth. So I don't even, I don't even own a snaffle anymore. I did, but the last time I saw it was on my mother's piano. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a beautiful Mark Dahl, um silver uh, snaffle bit. Anybody's got a pair of Mark Dahl spurs they want to trade, I'll be happy to. Um, <laughs> but but I don't, there is no timeline. And that's, that's the other difference. We have a lot of arbitrary timelines with a lot of the sports. And unfortunately, a lot of horses just don't fit within those restrictive timelines. And I think that's why we get so many horses that are blown out mentally or physically in the sport world. Yes. Because we've got arbitrary timelines that the horses just don't fit. Um, yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, it just goes back to the, the old adage, it takes the time it takes. And, uh, I think yes. if we, we start going more toward that, even with our smart horses, we'll get, you know, longer, happier, healthier horses. Um, uh, but it's so if, yeah. So if I'm really interested, manana, just manana tomorrow, yeah. we've got time. Yeah. There's no point Perfect. in pushing it. Yeah. Um, so if I'm interested in getting started in this type of horsemanship, maybe I've decided, you know, I'm really not going to go down all the way to the spade bit, but I'd like to learn more about it. And I'd like to learn more about the Hackamore, especially, um, I know you've got a website, where can we find you online? Cause I know you've got a ton of good resources. You've got a book you've written. So if I'd like to learn more about you and what kind of work you're doing, uh, where, where will we be able to find that? Uh, CaliforniaBridalHorse.com is the website, um, and yeah, we've got some we've got some material, and we uh, we were just talking about this just before you called. We're going to have a lot more material this year. Um, we have uh, a few things that the coronavirus has kind of screwed up, so the travel plans have gotten changed. So we're going to have a lot more internet stuff this year. We're going to have a lot more stuff available online this year. Um, than we've ever had in the past. Awesome. So, um, yeah, there'll be a lot more material there. I am right now about 80% through finishing a book specifically on the bridal horse and the two rein. And again, the two rein is, is a critical step in the, the process. So that book, we're hoping to have that book finished um, within the next, well, by the end of April. So there's going to be a lot of that stuff coming up and available pretty soon. Good deal. Well, this has been incredibly enlightening. We could talk about, I could talk about this personally for another hour, uh, but we are running short on time. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to thank you so much for coming on. um, And uh, we will be sure to post the the website. So if people want to learn more about it, it's a really fascinating topic. Uh, If you're interested in history of horsemanship in America and and, um, in Europe and, or you want to try some of these techniques for yourself, I would definitely recommend checking that out. Sounds good. Thank you very much. And hopefully we'll chat again sometime soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Take care. Great stuff. I didn't know a lot of those things. Every time I, 
we have guests on like I thought I knew under that understood that topic and then you talk to somebody who knows a whole bunch more I didn't know anything about that topic yeah it's uh it the whole history of it is incredibly fascinating and it's a especially on the western side of things if you kind of want to know where we came from um and how we got to where where we are today that that history plays a really huge factor in it um and uh it's it's a really amazing uh, style of horsemanship and you know again if, even if you're maybe not going to use the hackamore not really interested in, in doing the whole bridal horse thing uh, learning about that just for the history is fascinating all by itself uh, yeah another rabbit hole that we can enjoy going down and speaking of people who know a whole bunch more than we do time to chat a little bit about total saddle fit justin over at total saddle fit is a professional saddle fitter he knows a lot about how saddles fit how girths fit how stirrup leathers function, how your horse's back function. And because of that, he has created something called a Western saddle pad. That's right. He's got a Western Ooh. saddle pad. That's right for all the Western folks out there. He actually carries a number of different products for Western riders. And it's going like gangbusters. It was only very recently introduced. And it has a totally open and free wither cut back so that you don't have any pressure on the withers under the saddle. That's really easy to do to have the saddle pushed down against the, the uh, horse's withers. And if you ever say to yourself, Oh, that's not a big deal. It's just a saddle pad. It's soft and squishy, right? Try putting on a sock that's too small and walking around I was all day. Just about to say that, or yeah. Uh, like if I have a helmet, that's not perfectly fitted to me. And by the end of the day, I can't even feel my forehead anymore and I have a huge red dent in my head for days That's right. and it's just like a millimeter off and fit so I can only imagine what kind of pressure uh, and I'm looking at the the link right now it's this I love the way this is shaped I'm gonna have to get me one of these there you go it's got an open invented spine channel because you're spending a lot of hours in the saddle and you want your horses back to stay cool and comfortable it comes in three different sizes it comes in the 28 inch barrel or rounded for people with those little short itty bitty skirts and it comes in a 30 and a 32 depending upon the size working saddle you you, you have and total saddle fit does this for all of their products it is the use it and abuse it guarantee uh, if you when you buy one directly from totalsaddlefit.com you can ride in it for a full 30 days and if you don't not absolutely positively in love with it, they will refund you and they pay shipping. So go to totalsaddlefit.com and check out their amazing Western saddle pad and see if it's going to be right for you and your horse because there are, as I said, options. They're different sizes and you can get seamless shim pockets in it as well. There you go. Now, we have time enough for just one more question. And I, I, can I pick the question we do this time? Yes. Because I'm very curious oh, yeah. about this one. Patty wrote in, how do you lift your horse's belly for collection when you have short legs? And I thought this would be a good one to just talk about collection in general, because like forward, I think it's a little bit of a misunderstood mm -hmm. term. So can we start with what is collection? Oh, yeah, that's a whole hour of conversation. Well, yeah, can we, can we, oh, yeah, I know, maybe we should have done that. What? Yeah. May, we'll start out with what is it, and if we can't get through all of that, we'll come back to Patty's next month. But what is collection? Real short answer. It is, in my opinion, what collection looks like is the horse is engaged 
uh, through the hind end, they've got a um, uh, elevated top line, and they're they're light in the front end. the the col- the frame The collection on the bit part where they've got their little headset that's that's the icing on the cake. But real collection comes from the horse moving forward um, and working from the hind end, so they're not putting all their weight and energy on the front end. Um, light on the bit, uh, light and soft on the bit. That's kind of my very short answer. Very short answer. And I think that's a, that's a really good outline of what collected is. So we have a rider and this happens a lot because in the English world, and especially in dressage, very much the trend right now is bigger is always better. So the horses are giant. Yeah. And most of the riders, not so giant. So you have a lot of riders whose lower leg barely comes past the widest part of the horse's barrel. And sometimes you have a horse that's just very naturally wide-barreled with a very average-sized human being on top. So what are your some of your pointers for people to use use their aids effectively regardless of the length of their leg? So the way this question is framed is really interesting, and uh, it's how to lift the horse's belly for collection when you have short legs. So um, I was mistaken on getting the horse to lift their belly um, in thinking that if I squeezed my legs in a certain way or had a certain set of spurs on, I could get them to lift that part of their body. Um, you can coax it if you know, if you, uh, if you have certain equipment and stuff and physically getting them to lift it up, but that's really not how it works. And the length of your leg, as long as you can get the horse to respond to your cues, um, shouldn't really matter too much. I cannot physically pull that horse's belly up with my legs. I mean, not, I could be Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not going to happen. Um, so the, with riders that are more petite on a larger horse, the biggest thing I see is, is getting them to respond to their legs. And again, this goes back to going forward. Um, it can be done. You've got to be very consistent and look for chances to release because if you've got your leg on that horse 24 hours a day, he's going to learn to just accept it and get dull to it. And now you're going to need to go to your bigger spurs, get a little crop, whatever you, you've got to do. So um, the biggest thing is get him to respond to your cues going forward. Um, so you may need to get, I know, uh, Jamie talks about Amani Roberts tool. I don't know what it's called. It's like a soft cotton rope that you can use to encourage your horse to go forward. So you might need to start from there and apply leg pressure and then use that tool to get your horse to move forward. Uh, so I would think less about trying to physically lift the horse's belly up and getting him to move out more. Um, interesting. I like the way you went with that because... Collection is always predicated, I think that might be the wrong word, but you always have forward before you can get collection. So if your horse can't move forward or won't move forward from your aids, regardless of the length of your legs or your horses, doesn't matter what you do after that, you're not going to get collection. You're not going to get the horse to shift his center of mass a little bit towards his hindquarters so that they sink down a little bit and the shoulders and withers come up a little bit. So that's step one. Very interesting. Now, because we gabbed so long, we're kind of running on short on time. So, Patty, take this to heart. 
Test the forwardness level. Can your legs, regardless of their length, ask your horse to move forward? And he consistently consistently says, yep, I can do that. And then next month, we're going to make a little note to dive into step two. The horse is forward. Now, what am I going to do with my legs and my other aids to take it from forward to a little bit collected? And maybe we'll think up a couple of specific exercises that we like yeah. to do. I've to, already to got them churning in my look brain. Look at you. You got your brains going to, to um, take those first baby steps towards collection because it's not go forward collected. It's not two black and white things. It's go forward, 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 and then start to collect because just like forward starts out a couple of steps at a time. Yay, I was able to go down the long side of the arena on a loose rein for five whole steps. Collection works the same way. Yay, I got two whole steps. Oh, we take a break now. So we're going to end with that. And to find links to today's guests and topics and information, go to horsesinthemorning.com. When you go to horsesinthemorning.com, if you want to listen back to all of Mary's episodes, you'll see a uh, an icon in the center of, page, of the page, Mary Kitzmiller Training. You can click on that and all of her episodes pop up. You can follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. You can also follow us on Twitter at Twitter at Horse Radio. That's our handle. And get the app if you haven't done that already. Our app works on iPhone and Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can download. It's free. And thank you very much to Total Saddle Fit and Horseware for sponsoring today's show. And I will see you again next month, Mary, on the second Thursday. All right. See you then. Where can find people People find you online? We need that too. Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship is my Facebook page. Um, you can find me uh, under that handle on Facebook and Instagram. And marykitzmiller.com is my website. See, if you just Google Mary Kitzmiller, she'll come up. Easy peasy. Yeah, it's a unique name.